How are you? That's good. We have cute babies here. Hi, cute baby. How are you? Oh, she's four months old. Her name is Eden Grace. Hi. All right. Okay. Uh, let us pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for everything you've done for us. Thank you for the gospel, and thank you for your word that shows how things really are. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, well, I guess it's time for the children's message. Okay, all right, the children's message. All right, so, hello, children. Hi. Do you, I think everyone remembers Cadence, right? Cadence. You got... Oh, oh, I'm sorry. This is Peyton. That's Cadence. All right. Hey, I got a question. Are you guys brother and sister? That's what I meant. Yeah. Sister and sister. Are y'all siblings? Okay. Now, do you ever sometimes get jealous of each other? Yeah, that happens, pretty much. Okay. Get you, it's easy to get jealous of your sibling, right? Does it ever feel like your parents or your grandma is being nicer to the other one than you? No. 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 Oh, oh, that's good. Oh, that's a good church Miss America answer right there. That's awesome. Okay, so what do you get jealous about then? Well, that's relatable. I can understand that. Yeah, but, and so, is it easy to ever think sometimes that, you know, if you were to, like, you know, push her off a cliff, then he'd talk to you? No. Okay, good. Don't think that. That's bad. Okay. Well, that's good. Don't think that. Always love your sister, okay? Even if sometimes it is kind of hard. Okay. And you understand that even if one of you feels more blessed by God than the other, that God's... You love God? Oh. That's awesome. That's very cool, Cadence. Now, but you know God loves both of you equally. He's particularly fond of both of you, right? No matter if. Okay. You're right. Even if they make. That's very true, Cadence. What did it say? I understand. I get that all the time. Hey. You're right. Even if they make bad decisions, God still loves them. And God does love everyone, but he's particularly fond of you two. Okay? All right. You guys can go back and sit down. Okay. All right. This is one of those clunky stories that we have to deal with. Kind of hard to get through Genesis without it. Uh, so we're going to talk about Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain and Abel, it's a very powerful, powerful story, and it's very easy to read it and just read it with the wrong lens. I think growing up, the church I grew up in kind of thought that the Bible was written to us rather than written for us. And what I mean, does that make any sense to anybody? And what I mean by that is that like, it was really big into prophecy, and sometimes the Bible teacher would talk about, like, how the book of Daniel was impossible to understand for previous generations. But now, 
we can understand what it means because it was like almost written to us in the last days or something. And I think that's a very dangerous uh, kind of conceited attitude, uh, but it's easy to do that when we feel like we have a monopoly on the understanding of scripture. Uh, does anyone know who Mel Brooks is? I love Mel Brooks, okay. Who loves Spaceballs? Okay, who loves Blazing Saddles? Okay, who loves Young Frankenstein? Okay, now, does anyone love Monty Python? Oh good, we've got some Monty Python fans, all right. Who loves the, okay, we're gonna admit it. Who's, deep down, whose favorite Monty Python movie is The Life of Brian? Oh, we're not gonna, we're not, we're not oh, good job, thank you for your honesty. Cadence, your cadence, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, now I'm getting fired. Okay. What? Okay, okay. Now, you understand. Now, you, okay, who likes, who likes Robin Hood men in tights? Okay, got it. Love that. Okay, now, imagine how incomplete your enjoyment and appreciation of these movies, like Spaceballs or Men in Tights or Blazing Saddles, would be if you didn't know, if you'd never watched a Western from the 70s, or if you'd never watched Star Wars, or you'd never watched Kevin Costner and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Think about, you'd enjoy the movie, but you wouldn't get half the jokes, okay? And, uh, I mean, my personal favorite spoof is from the Wayans Brothers. It's, uh, don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood on Friday. Uh, now, if... But unless you grew up in the 90s watching Friday and Minister Society and, uh, you know, Boys in the Hood, yeah, you wouldn't get any of the jokes in that movie. Yeah, and that's kind of what's happening here. Uh, the story of Cain, as you roll through, even, I mean the story, even from Adam and Eve with the gar fruit in the garden, the story of Adam and Eve all the way through, like Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel, it's an intentional spoof. Okay, but it's, an, but it's a really mean-spirited, angry, politically, religiously motivated spoof. Like, it's like biting bitter, it's not even a funny spoof, it's like biting bitter satire. Like, think if, like, Brother Mickey got on a rant on Facebook on his meanest day, like, not feeling his better angels, and his most scathing and sarcastic, and just went full rant and told a really hateful story. <laughs> That's basically what it is. Uh, and so... It's, it has these backhanded insults and these rough edges to it uh, that I don't want you to miss because they, they really tell us a lot about humanity and the place we're in. Uh, God has a sense of humor. Uh, who knows the story of the Good Samaritan? Okay. Yeah, that kind of shows that sense of humor. Now, you understand, like, the story of the Good Samaritan, you got the priest and the Levite, you know, and they're not beat, like, the good church, the good Christians of their day aren't helping the guy beaten up on the side of the road. And then, now you know who you would expect to help in that culture. Who was everybody expecting to help? The Pharisee. The third person, you expect the third person. Everyone's expecting him to go, but then the good Pharisee came and helped him. Because that's how the cultural understandings were back. That was the cultural stereotype and expectations. Okay, The priests and the Levites, those are the fake Christians, but then the real Christians are these good Pharisees. That was the attitude that everybody believed, even the Pharisees themselves, which was probably part of it problem. 
And that's why Jesus had that backhanded edge when he picked Samaritan. It was like, oh, yuck. Can anything good come from Samaria? That's like worse than Nazareth. Those people don't fear the Lord. There's no fear of God in that place. It had a backhanded edge to it. It wasn't praising Samarians. It was kind of trying to show people what being a neighbor was at the expense of the Pharisees. And the story of Cain and Abel is a story that God is telling to to take a backhanded approach to the Babylonians and just how we as civilized human beings see ourselves. Uh, does anybody remember the 19, was it the 92 Olympics or the 96 Olympics? Who remembers Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan? Okay. Okay, who, who thought Tanya was the better skater? Me too. You, were you alive? Okay. Who thought Nancy Kerrigan was the better skater? Okay. All right, I thought Tanya Harding was the better skater. But anyways, uh, I see a lot of parallels. There's this attitude inside human beings, especially when there's competition for praise and glories and who God loves best. There's this attitude that when you're second place and you come in second or you're not winning and there's that guy that's always winning and you're not and she's prettier and richer and that's why she gets better points with the judges, there's always this attitude of, I'm never going to get first. It's impossible to get first. If I eliminate her, then I'll be first. You know, there's that attitude to respond to adversity or, or there's the attitude of maybe I just need to try harder and work harder and uh, trust that God hasn't fallen off the throne. And in this story with Cain and Abel, we see Cain responding in the worst way. We see Cain kind of responding in a little Tanya Harding's, not even Tanya Harding, it, it might have just been her husband and his friend, but he responds in that way as, I'm not in first place, but if I kill him, then I'll be in first place. You know, and that's, that's the wrong kind of competition we want. Who likes friendly competition? Mickey's like, I love a friendly competition. It's never friendly. But yeah, competition is good. Iron does sharpen iron. But yeah, competition can bring out the best in us, and sometimes competition can bring out the worst in us. And in this story, people always think it's about Cain and Abel, but we don't want to think about this as a two-pole thing. It's actually a triangle. It's Cain, Abel, and God. Okay? Kind of almost like a marriage, you know? Like, who's ever felt that, like, God and your spouse were opposing you in the relationship? No one? Oh, <laughs> no one brave. Thank you, Sister Joan, for that bravery. Yeah, okay, yeah. In the same way that a marriage is triangular, for better or worse, or at, least, at least a Christian marriage should be triangular, for better or worse. Often, it's for worse, but for your better, whether you think it's worse or not, because who knows how we can define good and evil. But in that same idea, Cain was jealous because he perceived that God was somehow not looking upon him in the way he wanted. And it, you can't blame God. You can't punish God. You can't be nasty to God. The top of the triangle, not directly, but indirectly. You know, you can always hurt your stepkids or hurt your own kids to hurt your ex-husband or ex-wife or, or hurt your brother here in the story. And that's exactly what he does. And God did want us to see that internal human nature, that ability to be rivalry, that ability to like hate our brother instead of love him. And God wants us to see that. And then on top of that, he kind of lays over this whole little mean 
I don't want to say it's anti-Babylonian propaganda, but it's a little mean. It's the way he does the characters. It's bad enough that Cain kills Abel. Oh, Cain does kill Abel. But it's the snarky way he named Cain the way he did, and it's the snarky little details he adds to the story that really give it its sting to us as modern American Christian, not even American, just modern human beings in the 21st century. Okay? Uh, Names in the Bible mean things, okay? Like, no one names their kid Cain, right? Okay, no one's naming their kid Cain. Uh, you know, I mean, and I think it's not just the story. I mean, people name themselves Saul. I mean, Saul is a very popular name to this day in the Jewish tradition, but no one's naming themselves Cain. You know, I mean, and part of this might be in 1 John verse, uh, ch- chapter 3, verse 12, you know, uh, we, or verse 11. For this message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Semicolon. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Okay? So right here we have God's word. God is saying that Cain slew Abel because Cain's deeds were evil, and his brother was righteous. And who's ever read a Christian study Bible or Christian commentary saying there was really no difference between the two sacrifices? Good, okay, don't read those commentaries. Awesome, yep. So, it, but it's easy sometimes to look back and go, what's so wrong? What's the difference between Cain's sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice? Well, we see in verse two, uh, and she gave birth to, well, let's read verse one. Now, the man had, the man knew his, oh, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Okay, does anyone know what Cain means? Blacksmith. It means blacksmith. It means blacksmith. He was a murderer, but, think, but it means blacksmith. Okay, like the guy that makes the plows or the swords. What? Well, before then... Very good question. Actually, he was not a smith of iron because it was not the Iron Age yet. He was a smith of bronze. Very good. This is the Bronze Age. So I couldn't say he was a blacksmith. He was a copper bronze smith. That's a better word. He was a copper bronze smith. Uh, and of course, where do we get that he was a copper bronze smith? Uh, well, this whole story was written in the Iron Age, sorry, the Bronze Age. But uh, if we just go back one chapter, Who's ever read the story of the Garden of Eden? Okay. Who's ever read the story of the fall with the serpent? Okay. Okay. Now, does anyone know that word for serpent in Hebrew? Somebody's heard it? Okay. It's nakash. The Bible has other words for snake or dragon or yada, yada, yada. But this word, serpent, uh, is more flexible. It's not just a snake. It could be a serpent of some kind. It could be, you know, something else. But it means, it's really funny, as a noun, nakash means serpent. As a verb, it means to practice witchcraft and divination. And then as an adjective, it means bronze colored, bronze, like a bronze medal. You want a bronze medal, you want a nakash medal, okay? Now, why is that so sneaky and mean for God to use this word that means all these things? Because he made the word mean all these things. Just, you know, it's how you ever want to use it. It's kind of like the word sound in English. A sound is a noun. Do you hear the sound of my voice? 
yes? Or I can sound the pulpit to make sure it's stable and solid. Or when one of us is writing a will, we can say, I, Matthew Whiteford, of sound, as an adjective, of sound mind and body, everything's working the way it should be. Sound, right? Well, Nakash is the same thing. And Hebrew is a holy language that God chose to reveal his uh, immortal word to us in. And he picked the word that meant all those things on purpose. It's a play on words because the original audience would have immediately caught on. This is where Paul goes on with the love of money is the root of all evil. Why? Because what was bronze back then? Money. Bronze was money. But guess what? Imagine if the thing you used for money, like the Spartans used to use iron rods for money, imagine if the thing you used for money was also the thing you used to make swords, you know? Like, they wouldn't say eat hot lead because they weren't shooting bullets. They didn't have hot lead. They had hot bronze because they were hacking at you, okay? And so this serpent, this bronze serpent, this bronze serpent, his name is immediately bringing to mind in the spoof money and bloodshed and warfare. All right. Ooh. That's how the love of money can be the root of all evil because we got this one thing, bronze, that is leading, that is creating money, or is creating the love of money, that's the root of all evil, and it's creating bloodshed and warfare. And, that, and then in the next chapter, turn the page, on the very next page, we have Cain. What's Cain's job? He's a worker of bronze. And if you ever study the history books of where this happened, the bronze, the bronze age is what turned this world upside down and actually birthed the Bible. And so, this, so right away we have a scathing critique of is bronze good for humanity or not? Is money and weapons good for humanity or not? Is commerce and trade good for humanity or not? And that's where he's going with this. And then, and again, verse 2, and again, she gave birth to Abel, his brother. And Abel, what's the word Abel mean? A vapor, a breath. And then it was gone. Time flies when you're having fun, right? Time flew for Abel. He was there, and then he was gone. Because he just got snuffed out. You know, what did Jesus say? The blood will be required of this generation from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the second Abel, basically, who they slew between the altar and the temple. You know, it just means a breath, okay? And so, and she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Okay? Uh, that's a farmer. That's agriculture. Uh, and this is where we start with the first in a long line with Abel. We start with the first in a long line of good shepherds that follow the Lord and serve him, and a lot of them end up dead. Ending with Jesus. Well, actually not ending with Jesus. Then you got Stephen. Okay. But... Uh, Remember, this story is set in the Syrian desert, kind of. You know, the, the, the Syrian desert, east and north of Arabia. Or sorry, east and north of the Holy Land. It's not like being a shepherd. I've said this before. It's not like being a shepherd up in England, with the, in Ireland, with the green hills and the Irish springs. So, no, 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 no. Yeah, you can just let your sheep walk, and there's always water everywhere. And you just kind of sit there all day bored on your phone, you know, while the sheep are growing uh, in Ireland. No, to be a shepherd of sheep in the Holy Land back then, 
like David or Moses on the backside of the desert meant you had to actually, <laughs> you could easily die. It's like going out to shepherd sheep in New Mexico. If you didn't know where the water holes were, you and the sheep were going to die. Uh, as much, if you didn't live out in the desert and be supplied, because the problem is the water holes in the wadis always changed because of the seasonal rains and stuff. It was literally putting your life in God's hands. And so Abel is kind of like a foreshadowing of Abraham or anybody else. Abel is the one who, to survive in this harsh, broken world, is going to hear God's voice, go out with him, and follow the Holy Spirit out into the desert, and then with his sheep, and let God guide him. He's almost, he's, he's the pastor, he's the shepherd, but he's also like just the big sheep too. And he's the first sheep, the first sheep among sheep. And he is, the she, he is God's little lamb, and God leads him out in the desert to this wadi this day, and then God turns him over to that wadi next day, because God knows where the water's going to be every time. And so every day he has to walk intimately with the Lord his God in the desert. And that's not only how he survives, it's how all his sheep survive. There's a sermon in there for pastors, if any of y'all are watching. Uh, but, okay, and that's a beautiful thing. And you will see over and over again in Scripture when God needs to prepare a man to lead his people, what does he do? Moses, David, Abraham, he calls them, come out of your city, come out of your wicked vile, whatever, go walk with me in the desert. Why? Because if you stop listening to me in the desert, you're going to die. It's kind of like guaranteed uh, compliance. That's the thing. And so because Abel was doing that, Abel knew all his food came from the living God. And he had nothing to, this wasn't his food. The only reason he was alive, the only reason his sheep didn't starve and die the only reason he didn't die of dehydration was because God led him every day. So he was grateful, and he gave the first fruits of his offering to God. And, of course, God smiled on him because his deeds were righteous, because he was walking with God like Enoch did. Cain, on the other hand, Cain's kind of like your first American or your first Babylonian. He's a self-made man by God. He's going to work hard. He's a rugged individualist. He did it his way. He's like Aaron Tippin. I did it my way. Like my daddy and my mama. I got it honest. He ain't going to. If he didn't earn it, he don't want it. Okay? Yeah, that's Cain. Uh, and uh, he's going to do it his way. He's going to work hard. And he's going to grow that fruit himself in the face of the uh, thorns and thistles thing that God told his dad. And he's going to grow, and he's going to work hard, and he's going to grow that grain himself with the work of his own hands. Notice, shepherds don't produce their own food with the work of their own hands. They receive the food that God grows the flock, okay? But those farmers, they grow with the work of their own hands. They do it their way, and they work from sunup, well, from 4 a.m. to midnight, you know, uphill both ways in the snow. And they work hard, and they get that, they get that and it never grows as much as they need. Or as, it, it seems like farmers never, for as much work as they put in, they never get the harvest that they deserve. And that's probably exactly how he felt. And then on top of that, God wanted a cut. He didn't see God out there tilling the land. I mean, God was the one cursing the land to make him work twice as hard. So he gave with a bad attitude, almost just like the way you pay off a mafioso wanting protection money, you gave with a really bad attitude. And so God had no regard for his offering because his deeds, as it says in John, his deeds were evil. 
And so God didn't receive him. He's like, hey, Cain, don't do me any favors, bud. You, you're doing your thing anyway. And, you know, you know I, don't, I don't need that blood money in the treasury, you know. And that made him so mad. Because no matter how hard he worked, no matter how hard he tried, God still was not satisfied. And it's easy for us to read this and act like humans. So no matter how hard I try, I make one little mistake and God flips out and doesn't bless me. No, that's not what's going on here. God knows you're going to make mistakes. You sin because you're not human. Excuse me. You sin because you're not God. You're not perfect. You're going to make mistakes. That's not why God doesn't bless people or doesn't have regard for their offerings, okay? And Cain was actively pursuing the works of his own hands in self-idolatry and doing things his way, okay? That's why his deeds were evil. That's why his false offering was not recognized. And God's telling him, look, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Okay? It's like, you know, like God lifting him up like a little kid from the chin, you know? But if you don't, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you, and you must master it. This is actually a very, very common Babylonian figure of speech that the author's intentionally putting in here or adding to it to let you know who they're pointing the finger at. You know, this is like, use the Schwartz! Oh, my, sh- oh, I, 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 never mind, I just... We're not going there. I can't believe I just mentioned the Schwartz in a sermon. I'm sorry. Uh, but you get the idea. There's a known riff there. It's like there's a known slogan. There's a catchphrase that uh, God's using there. And so what does Cain do? Well, like Adam and Eve before him, Cain decides he knows good and evil better than God. And so he makes things right in the field where he works with his own hands. And then afterwards... He has, like she said, sarcasm. Am I my brother's keeper? And it's kind of funny. The place I work at, our phrase is actually this statement in the positive. We say, I am my brother's keeper. But here, Cain's saying the exact opposite. He's saying it, but in a sarcastic way. He's asking it, am I my brother's keeper? You know, it's easy to feel this way when you're focused on making your life better and making your family's life better and you're busy working hard. It's easy to forget your brothers. And it's, he is like the first self-absorbed yuppie in this sense. He's just all about him and his own success. And, you know, I mean, he could have three brothers who are trying to finish college. Well, if they, if, if they work hard and if, if they're worthy, they'll finish college too. I got to live here in the city with my, you know, $3,000 a month apartment and just keep making the trades. You know, he's really, he's all about him. And it's, he's righteously indignant in a sense, even though he killed this guy, he's righteously indignant. Now, I've never actively killed anybody, okay? But, that I know of. Uh, But uh, (laughs) it's, easy for us when we look at the suffering in the world today that we're not even really directly responsible for personally, or I would say personally responsible for, it's easy to feel righteously indignant when someone asked for us to alleviate it in some way because we almost just want to say the same thing. Am I my brother's keeper? He made his decision. You know? Uh, we just have to let him deal with the consequences of his actions. Uh, You know, and there is a place for that. 
But there's also a place for people make the people often try to make the best decisions they can. And it's really easy to forget to be forgiving and loving and merciful and feel responsible for the people around us. Because I've seen people act like with this am I my brother's keeper attitude towards their own kids, towards their own, towards their own spouse. I've experienced this attitude. Who's ever experienced this attitude towards their own spouse? I just want to see him get what he deserves. Or she. No one's going to admit to it? <laughs> okay. I told him that was a bad idea. Lord, I told him that was a bad idea. He invested in pork bellies. I said it was dumb. I'm glad he's sad. Okay. No, we can't. My pray for myself and all of us today in closing is that whether our, our brother or our neighbor is experiencing God looking upon his offering with joy or experiencing misfortune for their own bad ideas, my prayer for all of us today is that we be our brother's keepers. Be our spouse's keepers, be our kid's keepers, be our neighbor's keepers, be our church family's keepers. Because that's what a, that's what a flock of sheep need to do to survive in the desert. Jesus loves all of you, and he's particularly fond of all of you. And he's particularly fond of your neighbors, so let's take care of each other this week. Go and serve the Lord. Mm.